Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another installment of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax, the site manager of SB Nation's Memphis Grizzlies blog, Grizzly Bear Blues. You can check out our work at grizzlybearblues.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies, and hopefully you are subscribed to the Grizzly Bear Blues podcast network, where you can get this podcast, of course, GBB Live, as well as the core four uh, 3&D long view with my co-host Parker Fleming, who I'll bring in here momentarily, and then our uh, long view, starting five, 3&D core four. And then, of course, GBB Live, all of those great podcasts, at your disposal if you subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, iHeart, Google, however you get your podcasts, you should be able to find the GBB Podcast Network. I am joined, as I mentioned, by my co-host, Mr. Parker Fleming. Parker, at Paca underscore Flocka, that the all-star break has, aro- has, a rivet, has arose, arrived. Golly, I'm struggling. The all-star break has arrived, Parker Fleming. How are you planning on spending your all-star break, sir? Uh, I'm, you know, I'm good. I'm just going to relax. I'm going to enjoy the festivities. Uh, luckily, my fiance is a big Grizzlies fan, so I will be able to watch all three nights of All-Star Weekend with no complaints. But I think everything else, I'm just going to chillax, kind of uh, recharge a l- little bit, because I'm sure the second half of the All-Star break is going to be a lot of fun. And I've noticed it's a, it's a yearly tradition at this point. Uh, the complaining about the all-star break, obviously the Grizzlies have already played 60 games, so they've got about 21 games left on their schedule here. Um, so it's not truly a halfway point. It's almost like a three-fourths of the way point for a majority of the teams in the league. Our guest on this episode of the podcast, uh, he needs no introduction, really. He's a friend of GBB. He's been on GBB Live several times throughout the years, and I think it's if we're going to talk historical context for the season that the young Memphis Grizzlies are currently enjoying, I can't think of a better guest to bring back on the show than a, a columnist or a columnist for the Daily Memphian. He's been a Memphis sports writer for literally decades at this point. Uh, Mr. Jeff Calkins, how are you doing, Jeff? Thank you again for taking some time out of your busy schedule to talk Grizzlies basketball with us. I'm good, Joe. Parker, how are you? I, uh, I think the correct answer is that you're going to Cancun, though. If you're asked, what are you doing uh, for the All-Star break? Particularly given uh, Chandler's tragic retirement uh, and the Morgan Morgan spot that he has been doing recently <laughs> is what I think brought him, brought him to mind. But uh, no, it's good to be on again. He's very smart for doing those ads, for the record. He, he is an all-time Secure the Bag MVP Hall of Famer. Um, not mad at him for it. And I'll always believe it would have worked if it weren't for those gosh darn knees. Uh, Jeff, let's jump right in. Yeah, those damn knees. Um, Looking at this Grizzlies team, before we talk about the All-Star festivities, here at the All-Star break, the Memphis Grizzlies are 41-19. and They've played 60 games. They are tied for the best win percentage in the history of the franchise at this stage, sharing that distinction with the 2012-2013 team. For those of you that don't remember how that season concluded for the 2012-2013 Grizzlies, they lost in the Western Conference Finals. They made it as far as any team in Grizzlies franchise history has in the playoffs. So we are in rarefied air if we're looking at this team's record. But Jeff, I don't know if it's because I'm a cynic. I don't know if I can't get the grit and grind out of my blood. I don't know what it is. 
I'm waiting for the bottom to fall out. And I'm not saying that it will. I am very guarded with this young team for the exact word that I just used, young. It is so rare, whether it's the Boston Celtics in the last five years or so, before them the Oklahoma City Thunder of Harden and Durant and Westbrook, for a team that is this young to be this dominant. And I am very hesitant to put them in the, again, I used the phrase rarefied air earlier. I'm very hesitant to put them in this place among the best grit and grind teams, you know, whether it's the 2012, 2013 team, whether it's 2014, 2015, uh, you know, the Mike Conley broken face playoff run, you know, whatever the case might be, the numbers say that this team is right up there with those guys. I struggle with putting them in that place. Do you agree with me on that? Or can you help me kind of get to that place, Jeff? Well, I think what's interesting about this year is it's all been a surprise, right? I mean, that's what to me is the, is, is the dramatic difference with this year is that we are all catching up. Um, they far outstripped expectations, um, certainly nationally, but locally as well. And so we're, for, for me, it's, I really think the first struggle, you know, the, the struggle generally was for people to believe they were this good. Um, and, um, and I think you're starting to see Memphians starting to believe they are this good, honestly, as reflected in attendance, among other things. Like last night was a great crowd and it was rollicking. But for the longest time, I was sort of, and I'm, I'm not, wasn't criticizing people at all, but uh, there's been COVID and everything else, but it was, you know, you'd wonder, like, when is Memphis going to arrive here and embrace this fully with, with, you know, giant rollicking crowds? And I thought it was heartening, honestly, to see it last night for that reason. So I think I think we've all been catching up to how good they are, um, honestly. We don't – it's not – it's a rare thing as a sports fan when a team outstrips your expectations and particularly outstrips your expectations by this far. When you continue, you have to raise the bar – and say, well, okay, well, maybe they can, I guess maybe they could finish sixth. And uh, then, whoa, and okay, I guess maybe they could finish in the top four. And then it's like, whoa, I guess maybe they can finish in the top three. And now it's like, holy crap, maybe they can catch Golden State. So, um, I mean, I think we all have been sort of having to come to grips with, do we really believe this or not? And how fully do we embrace this? Um but even like even when those those great teams, the the great core four teams, like we, it was a surprise then. Even even when they got to the conference finals, you didn't necessarily expect them to get to the conference finals. Whereas this team, if not this year, in a certain number of years, I think people do expect it. That's a fair point, and I think that that is a difference. I'm still able to enjoy this team, you know, covering the team the way that I do, of course, from afar. It's good to hear that Memphis is kind of hesitant like I am um, in terms of trying to fully give myself to this idea that they are this. When you're a top five team in the, in the NBA in terms of record, top three technically, uh, you're an NBA finals contender like you are. That doesn't mean that it's going to happen. It means that you're in that mix. And it's just really hard to put that together with a team that's the second youngest roster in the entire NBA Jeff, I'm curious. I think also part of it for me is the fact you've got John Morant, who's a dark horse MVP candidate, probably should be top five or six on that list. Desmond Bain, same kind of listing, five and six for most improved player. 
Same thing with Jaron Jackson Jr. for Defensive Player of the Year. Same thing with Taylor Jenkins for Coach of the Year. You've got this quadrant of sorts of overperforming, and obviously the team as a whole, as you alluded to, is overperforming. But I guess I'm also struggling with the idea that they're overperforming to such a point. Obviously, all four of them are not going to win the award. It's likely that none of them, to be honest with you, win the award, which people will get mad about, but it's just true. If you're taking the field or one of the Memphis Grizzlies for any of those awards, I'm going to take the field. But at the same time, just the fact they're in the conversation, it, it's like you, you, got, you had 10 jacks suited, if you're playing Texas Hold'em, 10 jacks suited, 10 jack of hearts, and then the flop comes out ace, king, queen of hearts. Like you flop the royal flush. That's kind of how it feels right now. And, and I, I'm just not sure I believe it's sustainable. But again, through 60 games, they've been able to do this, Jeff. And I guess we just need to start giving them credit from the coaching staff all the way down through those three, you know, the new big three, it appears, that already might be on the roster when it comes to Desmond Bain and his arrival. Well, it's interesting because Chris Harrington of the Daily Memphian makes the point that if you look back at the core four years, what was really their best chance? And he believes that their best chance was the first year they went to the playoffs because that was the year, um, you know, they lost in seven games the first year, the other, that group, when they, when they, when they beat San Antonio, they lost in seven games, um, ultimately, including a triple overtime game to Oklahoma city. Um, and that was the year that the, the Dallas went on to win the title and Dallas was, you know, it was Dirk Nowitzki. That was it, right? It wasn't, in fact, a super team. So you look back, and you never know when the opportunity is going to be there for a franchise. Now, I don't believe that this is necessarily or even probably uh, the, the, the best year um, when the Grizzlies are most likely to make a deep run. But it is true that who the hell scares you right now? Right. I mean, we, we find ourselves in a situation where the NBA looks wide open. And so if you're going to make a run as a young, unproven team, why not have it be this year? I think Phoenix can be pretty scary. Honestly, they're demonstrably the best team in the, in the league right now. It does strike me. And you never know, depending on whether, you know, Mill, whether the Nets can ever get it together or what the, we don't know what the Sixers are going to look like, or what's going to come out of the East. But that's the other thing at play here is that there's no one particularly terrifying. It is still true that the Grizzlies could lose a first round series. I, I don't, I think that is within the realm of possibility, but it is also true that they could go to the finals and I, we're not used to being in that position. And then of course the, the test is how will all of this look in the postseason? How will it translate to the postseason? We saw um, last year that, all of the elements that helped make the Grizzlies good during the regular season didn't necessarily translate. Anthony Melton wasn't really good in the postseason. You know, the, the bench, which has been such a strength of the Grizzlies, wasn't necessarily a strength of the Grizzlies once you got to the playoffs. And so what's that going to look like? What's going to look like when Dylan comes back? There are a lot of factors at play here, but I do think because of the way the league has opened up, you might as well take your chance while you have it. Parker Fleming, I'll bring you back in on, on this same point, kind of tying it all together from the first couple of questions to Jeff. You know, all the award potential, all the record, possibly catching Golden State. Uh, how much are you buying into this team actually being this good? 
And because you obviously, Jeff has had a chance to do this as well, but Parker, you cover them for us almost on a nightly basis, especially for the home games. Uh, when you see them in person, you've seen other teams in the league. We've already talked about the half court offense being a concern, the three point shooting being a concern. Do you buy into this team potentially having that final ceiling? We'll talk about being limitless here in a moment, but when you look at them, they, the record says they're 41 and 19. Coach Speak says you are what your record says you are. Are the Grizzlies, as currently constructed in this moment as we record, tied for the best regular season team in Grizzlies franchise history? I mean, why not? I mean, I guess like uh, Jaws, Nike campaign, like we're saying all this, like, oh, Grizzlies can't do this, can't do that. It's like, says who? Like, I think they're proving that this season. I think one thing that I was listening to your point about, like, you're struggling trying to buy into this team being as good as the peak grit and grind. And I think it's because, like, around when grit and grind Grizzlies were, I think, at its peak was between 2013, 2015, they had already taken those playoff lumps. And this team has only really had one round of playoff lumps. I thought their best shot was to win in 2015 because they had all those playoff scars. But, I mean, for the majority of that season, they were second in the West. It was just like that Western Conference was so tight. And it literally all went down to the last day, aside from Golden State that won. But, I mean, with this team, yeah, I, I can buy into, you know, if they make it to the finals. For one, they have a good track record. They've, they've beaten Phoenix, Golden State, Cleveland, Miami, Brooklyn, all on the road. They've beaten all these elite teams on the – or Utah as well. Like, they, they've proven that they can get it done on, on the opposing team's floor. Uh, they've – I don't think it's really talked about how they literally went from having the dead last ranked defense in the first month of the season now up to seventh. Um, I, I, I mean, they're 32 and nine in their last 41 games. That's half a season sample. And that's a very strong sample. I think the only team with the better record or close to better is Phoenix. Um, I, you know, I do worry about, you know, the matches they have in the uh, playoffs. I mean, with Phoenix, Chris Paul, is one of the greatest point guards of my generation. Um, and then Steph Curry with Golden State. But, I mean, I, I think if everything breaks right, they could. I think it's shaping up right now where they face Golden State in the second round. Draymond's 32 years old, and he's been out with a back issue. Like, how, how much of a disadvantage can you put them with a guy like Jaron Jackson Jr., who can go small with Draymond, but also – give him a good little uh, size advantage there as well. But, I mean, it's just a testament to one. Like, we haven't had a superstar before. John Brandt is the main reason all this is possible. But also, too, Taylor Jenkins is a smart guy. And I, I think everyone's starting to recognize he's a coach of the year finalist kind of guy. I don't know if he's going to win it, but he needs to be in the discussion. But I think it's possible. I mean, why not? Why not? And, and like I said, I'm, I'm working my way up. I really am. And, and your piece that we're about to talk about, Parker, helped with that. We have Jeff Calkins as our guest on this episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Follow him on Twitter. If you don't already do so, at Jeff underscore Calkins. Uh, he's the host of the Jeff Calkins Show on 92.9 FM ESPN Memphis. He is, the, he is a columnist for the Daily Memphian. He is one of the great Memphis sports writers, and we're thrilled to have him back on the podcast. Jeff Parker recently wrote uh, what I like to call a fluff piece. Uh, I'm kind of the king of the fluff piece over at grizzlybearblues.com, but Parker did a pretty good job 
on one recently called uh, talking about the limits of the Memphis Grizzlies because Zach Kleiman said something interesting in his post-deadline uh, press conference. And we don't need to go into the details of whether or not they should have traded for Kendrick Williams because that's a waste of time. But what they do need to – I do think we need to talk about is the fact that he talked about the ceiling of this team being limitless or not wanting to put a limit on what this team can do. And, and I'm curious how, how, do you, how you took that, Jeff, because when I heard that, again, maybe this goes around with my, my cynicism or my not wanting to buy into such a young team for whatever reason, I worry that if you say that and a fan base hears it, and then as you mentioned, I could see this team losing in the first round to Dallas. That wouldn't surprise me in the least. If Denver gets Jamal Murray back healthy and it's a 3-6 matchup with Murray and Jokic, I could see Grizzlies are losing that series in six. If they fall out in the first round, knowing the fan base, I know you know it better than me, Jeff, but I've been around long enough to know them a little bit as well. I worry about saying that this is limitless and people not being able to apply context to it, like a, a disappointment if they fall short in the first round, even though they're going to be at worst at this point, the three seed or even the four seed, if they had a total collapse and they're hosting a first round playoff series of the second youngest roster in the NBA, does that limitless idea make you nervous at all? Or do I just need to lighten up Jeff Calkins? It doesn't make me nervous in the slightest in the sense that, um, um, First of all, I don't think because this franchise is so young, because Jai is, is where he is in his career, because um, you have so many players who are just starting out, even if there was a postseason disappointment, I think there will be tremendous excitement for next year. It's a show. Honestly, it was a show last night and they lost. And so um, I don't really – I'm not particularly worried about a disaffected fan base. There was a disaffected fan base at the end of the grid grind era where it felt like it was like, what are we doing this for again? Right. But, but there's no question that we will know, you know, what they're doing this for. They're they, okay. Well, maybe they stubbed their toe, uh, you know, in the playoffs this year, if that's what happens. Um, But I want to go see Ja. Like I, I really don't worry about, any disaffection of the fan base. I thought the limitless thing was interesting because when he says, when someone says, we're not going to put a limit on what this team can accomplish. To me, that's just kind of, my instinct is that's a cliche thing to say. Oh, sure. You, you didn't go get them help, but you're not going to put a limit on them. It's, it, it's what people it's what, it's what people, it, 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 it often is just something that people say. Right. Um, except in this context, I actually remember Zach Kleiman saying the exact same thing heading into the year when people the, the, the theory was, hey, listen, Jonas is gone. They're going to take a step back, et cetera. And he said in his first press conference, I'm not going to put a limit on what this group can do this year. You, you all think we're doing this down for the long haul. You know, it's why we traded up. It's why we acquired an extra pick. It's why we have going with the no. we aren't going to limit what they can do this year. And so this was just in a different context. Now they've actually proven that his faith in those young players was, was correct. And now he's reiterating, you know, no, we didn't need to go get someone. We're not going to put a, we're not going to put a limit on what this particular group can 
accomplish. And again, I would, I might typically roll my eyes at a GM who says that, but I heard him say the exact same thing at the start of the year, and damn it, he turned out to be right. He's not wrong so far. Literally, the tied for the best winning percentage in the history of the franchise for a regular season entering the All-Star break. 41 wins at the All-Star break. That is also a record for this franchise. I think it's just time to buy in. I need to get on board, jump on board the, uh, the, the hype train, the Immaculate Vibes train, as Parker Fleming would put it. When we come back on GBB Live, we're going to talk to Jeff about All-Star Weekend. Drew Hill of the Daily Memphian, another friend of GBB, is already there. Many Memphis media are, are uh, converging on Cleveland to cover not just John Morant, but Desmond Bain. Previewing the weekend next. You're listening to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax. I am joined by my co-host, Parker Fleming. And our guest at this time, Mr. Jeff Calkins at Jeff underscore Calkins on Twitter. He's the host of the Jeff Calkins Show on 92.9 FM ESPN in Memphis. He also is a columnist for the Daily Memphian. No one knows Memphis sports better than Jeff Calkins. And it's a wonderful opportunity to talk in this segment about the All-Star festivities kicking off on Friday night with the Rising Stars game. Our question of the day, and I'm going to start off with my co-host Parker Fleming on this particular part. Uh, question of the day time here, Parker. I asked over at GBB Live on our Twitter account for the podcast, um, what is most likely coming out of the NBA All-Star Weekend? Desmond Bain winning the Rising Stars MVP, Desmond Bain winning the three-point championship, John Morant winning the All-Star MVP, or all of these things happening. Uh, which one did you vote for, Parker? I voted for John Morant MVP because, for one, he – came out and actually said like he's going for it so that means you know he's actually gonna probably try a little harder than right you know your lebron james steph curry um kevin durant guys like that but also too it kind of reminds like i think his arc right now in this all-star game reminds me of kyrie irving in 2014 who ended up winning all-star mvp that year um you know the young point guard i think kyrie was in his third year then as well put on some uh, had some dazzling plays um, you can kind of see the little tease of him, like LeBron potentially going back to Cleveland to team up with Kyrie, um, and just the kind of like the kind of guys like, oh, this is like the next great point guard that's up, and oh yeah, he's great right now. So I, I think it's I I would say Ja winning MVP just because I think that would be really cool. We haven't had anybody like that, but also too, I mean, Bane's odds are for winning three-point shootout are at plus 600, according to uh, DraftKings. And, you know, just doing a little bit of research and stuff, comparing him to his other three-point contestants, like, I like his chances. I like his chances in a uh, in a standstill uh, three-point barrage. Now, Joe, let me ask you this. Do you think Dez, just for fun, he's going to do a little flyby action for one of his threes? Absolutely. Uh, in the Rising Stars Challenge, or the, yeah, the Rising Stars event on Friday night for sure. Uh, but Saturday, it would make a lot of sense for him to do that too. A little step back action like James Harden. Um, my vote was for John Morant as MVP as well, because I'm done doubting him. I'm not going to, you know, if he says he's going to push for something, I'm going to believe him. But I also think Bain winning the three-point contest really wouldn't be that surprising. He's having an amazing season from three uh, I would put a little bit of money on the plus 600 Desmond Bain. That makes a lot of sense to me. 
Jeff Calkins, we'll bring you back in again, looking at the overall events. Which of those things do you think is most likely to happen? Bain as the Rising Stars MVP, Bain as the three-point shooting champion, or Morant winning that All-Star Game MVP on Sunday night? I think you you all have, uh, have, I think, identified the issues. I think the least likely to happen is Desmond Bain winning the MVP of the Rising Stars game. Among other things, he said he wasn't going to go for it. Right. You know, he basically said, that's not my thing. And, um, you know, and I think now he could hit, you know, seven threes in that game and win it. But I think that's the least likely of the three. So then you're left with the other two. The Desmond Bain one, I, I'm, I'm with you, uh, Joe. I think he could very well win it. But it's sort of a little, it's slightly random. Who's going to get hot? Who's going to win it? And so with Ja declaring that he wants to win the MVP, I think it becomes a little less random. He clearly has the flair to win it. Um, he has the ability. We've seen one of the things that, that limits Ja is sometimes, you know, sometimes he, he decides not to take over. More often he now is deciding to take over. When he decides to do something, he seems pretty likely at this point to do it. So I think either of those things is very much within the realm of possibility. But given that he has declared his intent to do it, I think that I'm going to agree with both of you. I think that is the most likely of the three. And John Morant is, again, very determined, a very aggressive, audacious young man. And I mean that in the best way possible. Um, it's going to be fun to watch him on that stage, Jeff. And, and I really do get a kick out of how much attention is being paid to these Grizzlies, whether it's you know ESPN. It feels like they're paying more attention than ever before. Uh, the national media in general, the Grizzlies have been picked up in several national media games, NBA TV, coming out of the All-Star break. Uh, the, Parker mentioned in the first segment the fact that the Grizzlies have a superstar for the first time. Zach Randolph has made All-Star games. Marcus Saul made All-Star games as a member of the Grizzlies. He started an All-Star game as a member of the Grizzlies. This feels very different in terms of the spectacle, in terms of the excitement, no disrespect to Randolph or Gasol, but this just seems like a unique set of circumstances where obviously Bain is going as well in his you know, role in the three-point shooting contest and Rising Stars Challenge. But when you look at what John Morant has done and the way that things are kind of revolving around him in the Memphis Grizzlies universe at this stage – I think something that really adds to the excitement here, Jeff, and I know you can put this in better words than me. We talked a little bit in the first segment about how this is the beginning. And I've talked about that before too. The grit and grind window, you knew it was closing in 2015. You felt the urgency here. You're right at the start of this journey with this group of guys, whatever the core eventually looks like. I think we can all agree. Ja, Jaron Jackson Jr. And Desmond Bain is probably the first three members of that core for sure over these next several years. But when you, it's the beginning and the beginning is always the most exciting part, the honeymoon stage. There hasn't been a disappointment yet. Everything has been overachieving, overreaching, doing more than was expected. The day will eventually come where that's not enough. But in this moment, Memphis is able to just take the unbridled joy that is John Morant playing basketball and really take it and make it their own in terms of a, an escape from the hell that these last two or so years have been in a lot of ways for a lot of people. You mentioned that it was a show in the first segment. 
And I think the people are genuinely more excited than they've ever been for a Memphis Grizzlies representative to be on the biggest stage that the NBA has to offer on Sunday night. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think it's right. Even if, 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 if a Grizzlies have been on the biggest stage before, they haven't been the main players on the biggest stage. And um, Ja is one of the main players um, on the stage this year. He's sort of, he's the best new artist, right? Whereas, listen, Mark had a moment because uh, when he started, he of course started against his brother. And so you had the Gasol tip and that was kind of fun, right? That was kind of fun, but it bespoke, it didn't bespeak, superstardom this is superstardom and it's a whole different level there's no question that's true and there's no question that this is in many ways the most fun moment in the trajectory of a franchise um you know you look at you look at dame lillard uh and and how that must have felt when dame lillard was emerging and now it feels sort of like oh what the hell is going to happen now The, the best trajectory is the dirk or the Giannis trajectory where you have the moment of discovery, the moment of arrival of superstardom, and then you have the ultimate accomplishment, which allows them to, you know, that, then it almost settles into a period of contentment, right? That, but you only get there if you can actually win the title. So it seems to me that the, 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 this, this moment that we're having here of only joy and no real expectations is about as good as it gets short of winning a title. And yes, this all-star game is just a celebration of this outlandish thing that has landed in our community, which is fabulous and unexpected. And honestly, because it only happened about a year after the the core four fell apart, in some ways, I'm not even sure it's, I don't mean it's undeserved, but there was not a lot of suffering that went into this. You know, it was, it's fairly astonishing how little suffering did go into this. We went straight from this core four era, which was such marvelous fun. And then we had about a year of, oh, well, this isn't working out anymore. Mark's grumpy. Mike's got to go. Turns out, whatever. And then all of a sudden we get this group, which is, um, you know, every bit is gifted, more gifted. And they play with the... <laughs> everybody's likable in their own way. They, they play with a absolute joy. And I, I honestly think that's one of the great things about watching this team. It's not just how good they are. It's how much they like each other. And at a time when we are as a society kind of trudging day to day through the slog of a pandemic to see players play with that kind of joy in their work and in each other, I think it's part of been part of the delight of this. And then to see, so now you get to see not just Ja going to the all-star weekend, but Ja going with a teammate and, and you know, the backcourt is there. And I think that's a part of it. So valuable to have that experience for both of those guys. And, and I'm with you completely. Like I said, I, I knew you would say it better than me. They are really in a position to just enjoy this. And you make the Damian Lillard comparison and that's a perfect one because Portland, obviously similar market, in terms of size to Memphis, um, that that could be the future. But you don't need to worry about that right now. All you need to concern yourself with is the fact that you're still on that upward trajectory. We're finishing up here with Jeff Calkins at Jeff underscore Calkins on Twitter. Make sure you're following him there if you don't already do so. Lead columnist for the Daily Memphian. Does a great job over at ESPN uh, 92.9 FM there in Memphis as well with the Jeff Calkins show. 
Jeff, I'm going to get you out of here on this. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Um, and I'll go first since I am putting you on the spot. And then uh, mm. Parker will bring you in to close it out. Uh, a bold prediction for the second half of the season into the playoffs. What you see this season kind of becoming, um, you know, if it's bold in a bad way, in a good way, whatever. Uh, just something that you kind of see with this team uh, moving forward. I guess my bold prediction would be, and it's probably not even that bold, the way that Golden State has played lately and the fact that Draymond Green, Parker mentioned in the first segment, his injury concerns. I think the Grizzlies are going to be the two seed. That, that's my bold prediction. I think that they might even lose their first two games coming out of the All-Star break. They're tough games against uh, Minnesota and Chicago, I believe. But then after that, the schedule gets a lot easier. I could see them going, you know, something like 15 and 7 or something along those lines in their last 22. And that would probably put them in the two seed would be my guess. So that's my bold prediction. They will be the two seed and they will take on somebody from the play in uh, in that first round playoff matchup. What, what, what do you think in terms of a, a mildly hot take uh, regarding the second half of the season coming, Jeff? On your take, I do believe they will be the two seed, but I think I think what's interesting is if they aren't, you know, barring some cataclysmic injury, it will be the adjustment to Dylan Brooks that will be um, bumpy. Not 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 terribly disruptive, but they have to figure that out. So I I think they will be the two seed, but if they're not. I think it might be because they lose a game or two as they try to figure out how this all is going to work uh, with the new lineup. Um, I'll just go ahead and I'll say they'll make the Western Conference Finals. We'll make that. We'll make the Western Conference Finals, my prediction. They lose in uh, seven to the Suns uh, in the Western Conference Finals. That is a bold prediction. I I think I can can kind of see the vision, especially if they get to that two seed. I think that's going to be massively important to host either Utah or Golden State uh, in, uh, you know, if there's a game seven in Memphis against the Warriors or the Jazz, you know, that place would be pretty rocking to see John Morant in his first big moment like that. Uh, Parker Fleming, I'll, I'll let you take us home on the bold predictions. All right. So my, mine's going to be kind of um, an extension of Jeff's a little bit, but and this is going to be a shocker coming from me. But my bold prediction is that once Dylan Brooks gets back, Zaire Williams stays in the starting lineup and Dylan Brooks comes off the bench. Wow. That is a bold yeah, prediction. Yeah, I, I, because I think Melton and Zaire are a little overexpended as um, kind of like that head, head of the uh, table for the second unit, the, the microwave scorer off the bench. Granted, they don't go with a lot of pure, uh, pure bench lineups. Taylor Jenkins is – figure out a good formula of lineup staggering, but I mean, it's definitely one that could be wrong, but I just feel like that's the best way to, but that could be the best way to integrate a high usage player like Dylan Brooks is to let him cook second units. And I, I, I think he's valuable when it comes to checking another team's best player, but I think how Zaire has meshed with Morant, Bain, Jackson, and Adams compared to how he meshes with everyone else. I mean, he he's their he's their project, and I, I think they're going to keep on rolling with it. And we've always said, Parker, you and I, or at least I've always said, the best use of Dylan Brooks is as a what? A sixth man. So no, I always I, said a starter. I always said he's a starter. So I always said that's sixth all man. you. Yeah, 
so I, I will happily take that if that occurs. And if Dylan is willing to wear that hat, then I think it would make Memphis that much better. Um, I think limiting him and Morant, you mentioned the usage. I think Dylan has to close games. They can't be Zaire in those high-intensity situations. I, I want Dylan Brooks defending Luka Doncic. I want him defending Donovan Mitchell in those tough last moments of games. But to start to work through the second and third quarters in terms of offensive punch, I think you're onto something there, Parker. Jeff Calkins, thank you so much, sir. We appreciate you, uh, as always. Thank you for your work and your time, and we'll have you back on down the road. Good to be with you all. So long. Absolutely. Jeff, thank you again for Parker, for Jeff. Very, very grateful for all the folks that make grizzlybearblues.com part of their Memphis Grizzlies fan experience. Make sure you're subscribing on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, I should say. Goodness, they haven't called it iTunes in forever. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeart, Google, however you get your podcasts. By all means, make sure you're subscribing. Make sure you're following me on Twitter, at Joe Mullinax. Follow Parker, at Paca underscore Flocka. You can follow our blog that we're so fortunate to work at, at SBN Grizzlies. And, of course, you can follow Grizzly Bear Blues Live at GBB Live. One more time, thank you to Jeff Calkins For Jeff, for Parker, I'm Joe. Grind forth, Grizz Nation. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live.